All righty. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Banquet Hall Podcast. As always, my name is Kyler Nathan. I'm your host. Uh, new listeners, make sure y'all tap in with the podcast on social media at Banquet Hall Pod. Uh, today, I'm lucky to be joined by another friend of mine, uh, the second Taylor of the podcast for the first time. This Taylor's on the podcast. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, this PhD pulling me down, but I'm still standing up, so... Hey, if that ain't an inspiration to us all, every time I'm around y'all that are pursuing PhDs, I just, I'm like, man, like tip of the hat to y'all. Cause I don't, I don't know how y'all do it day in, day out. I'm like, y'all, y'all are the real superheroes of campus. I hope you know that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But as Taylor mentioned, she is a current PhD student. Definitely excited to get her story to our listeners um lately i've been starting a podcast with random icebreaker questions that i literally come up with as we're starting the podcast so sometimes they go really well sometimes the listeners or the guests is like ah that's a really hard question uh so given the topic of some of what we're going to talk about the icebreaker question i came up for you taylor is what is your favorite body of water you've ever been next to Ooh, oh man favorite body of water Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I can go so many different directions with this because you have like a a favorite for different reasons. Um, mm. Like I could say, like um. Well, Sarah, a couple. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I grew up around rivers, and I feel like that's probably where my first love for the environment came in. Um. At first, it was like I think the Ohio River, and then um the uh Arkansas River, which feeds into the Mississippi. the time and just watch them flow and that was always really nice uh growing up but then I'm thinking of like okay what's like the bluest water that I could not stop staring at and um gosh I can't remember what the body of water is called um but it's on the border of Sharm el Sheikh uh which is a city in Egypt um and I can't remember which I feel like I should know this but I was never good at geography not my thing um but that body of water was so clear and so blue and so beautiful um and so and I I got to like kind of sit up high uh looking over it and that was just so nice and so I'll go with those two those are awesome answers I forgot that you went to Egypt but as soon as I remembered I was like oh yeah it has to be some body of water you saw in Egypt that Mm -hmm. was just magnificent as we're talking, I was trying to think of what my favorite body of water is. I don't feel like growing up in California, I have really make many interesting answers to choose from because it's not like we have a big river running through California. Um, in LA, we have the LA River, but it's really just like a canal that sometimes fills up when it rains a lot. Um, so that's an excellent question. Maybe by the end of the podcast, I'll have my answer. Um, yeah, because I feel like all I have are beaches. I, I know the worst beaches I've been at and the best beaches, but... What are the, what are the worst? What are the best and the worst? Oh, the best and the worst. I would have, like, unfortunately, I would have to give worst beach to Dockweiler Beach in my hometown of Los Angeles, California. Um, it's just, like, especially... So, going to the best beach, I think the best beach is probably Coronado that I've been to in San Diego. I haven't been to a lot of, like, tropical areas, Uh, But Coronado Beach is beautiful. And I think just juxtaposing those two, when I go to Coronado, I'm crossing this big bridge, the sand's all clean, like there's just nice houses around. You go to Dockweiler, I feel like the beach always, like there's just so much uh, 
trash or so much like people just throwing stuff somewhere and it's also like a pretty dangerous beach depending on like when like people you around or like the time of year like people would literally have bonfires at doc weiler there was this very specific time in undergrad actually when i saw a flyer so i was like oh beach bonfire doc weiler tonight and i told my roommate i was like oh i'm not going to that that's going to get shot up fast oh, no. forward it got shot up Oh I don't, no. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go to a beach that gets shot up. So I think that's why Doc Weiler has to be my worst beach. Like that's not that's not fun. Why we go to the beach? Exactly. Keep it inland. I, I, let's get rid of all of that altogether, but not at the beach. Come on. Man. But Coronado, I remember the first time I was at Coronado Beach. I was like, dang, I really live in San Diego, huh? This is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, Coronado's beautiful for no reason. Like the the sand is gold. Like it, it it's it's so weird, but it's it's so nice. It's so nice. I don't even want to know what those houses call cost over oh. there because I know it's something I'm just nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coronado, good old Coronado. Uh, but you mentioned some of the rivers that you love in terms of favorite bodies of water uh the first question i usually open a podcast with in terms of formal questions is asking our guests where are you from and how did that shape who you have become or are in the process of becoming so taylor where are you from uh so i am from arkansas um i wasn't born there but it's one of those things where you grow up mostly there you're a teenager there um and it's called the natural state and so uh it's it's kind of famous for its nature, uh, for its mountains, even though I didn't really grow up near the mountains. There's like a few mountains where I live, um, but they really appreciate uh, nature out there, which is strange because they're also not really big components or advocates for like climate and their environmental mm. either, but the natural state nonetheless. Um, I used to spend a lot of time with my friends like hiking, um, we used to spend a lot of time outside, like exploring. Um, and so I just really grew to like love, uh, you know, the environment, love earth, um, connect with it. And so um, I think from that love after, you know, taking a few classes in environmental sciences, um, it sort of paved a weird, very windy pathway for me um, as to who I am becoming. Um, I think my guiding light is that um, I've always loved the environment. And then along the way, I learned to love people. Um, okay. So I'm kind of, I want to be at the intersection where those two worlds collide, um, which is climate change, because um, a lot of people will think that climate change is just impacting the earth, but ultimately it's going to impact us as people. It's going to impact our systems. It's going to impact society um, in very, very drastic ways. And I think many of us are aware of that, but I want people to know when they look at me, I don't just care about the earth. I care about the people in it. And I want us to find our way um, through the crisis of our generation. Um, and so as to who I'm becoming, um, I, I hope to be someone who helps in whatever capacity. And I think my journey has looked a lot like me trying to figure out what that looks like <laughs> and, and, you know, pivoting and I don't know about failing, but like just, changing all the time and still trying to figure it out to this day. Um, but for me, whatever looks like service and whatever looks like um, being helpful to fellow mankind, um, I just, that's who I want to be. Oh, I, I definitely resonate a lot with that because I remember growing up, 
I never had that, like, well, I had different points in my childhood where I knew I wanted to, like, be a certain profession growing up. But as I was in the age where I was, like, looking at colleges, thinking of majors, all I would tell people was, like, yeah, I just want to help people. I don't want to make a difference with people. Like, I don't know what career that looks like. I don't know what job I want to get. I don't know what major I want to get, but I just want to be a part of helping people. So I love just how it just seems like you have a very human-centered approach to your passions and the things that you're doing. And I think that's something that's not necessarily consistent with a lot of people. I think a lot of times in society with capitalism, we forget to use that human-centered approach. So I think that's beautiful that you have that people-first attitude in terms of what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. And I do remember the first time I found out that you grew up from Ar in Arkansas. Like, I've literally never met a single human being. I don't know if I've ever spoken to anyone who's lived in Arkansas. Um, I knew one person who went to college in Arkansas, but as far as people growing up in Arkansas, I had no idea what that experience must have been like for you. Yeah, it's and there's a reason. There's a reason. And I, I try to be positive when I talk about the reason, um, even though I, I am adverse to that reason. Um, but people, Arkansas is a very family-oriented state. And so many people, you know, grow up there, raise families there, and then they stay and they stay with their families. And, you know, for me, unfortunately, I, I left my family to pursue my education and pursue a career. And I, I try to keep in touch with them when I can. Um, and it's tough. It's it's really tough as an adult. Each time I'm like, oh yeah, when I graduate from this, I'll like come back more, I'll call more, whatever. But like, it's tough. And one thing I, I kind of envy of the people of my state is just how close-knit and how much they value the family unit um and so that's why you never see people outside of Arkansas because they there with their families <laughs> <laughs> hey I'm not mad at it I feel like a lot of our southern states there's this different type of like reverence for family and the value of family and I think that's what I really value like just like you said they're in Arkansas with their family their family's probably been in our Arkansas for some years like I definitely love that family value in that family culture. And so you mentioned that part of leaving family was to pursue your education. So what was the pathway that brought you to California? Yeah, um, so growing up, I think I wanted to be an engineer. Um, I wasn't really sure what that looked like until I started taking the like, you know, science courses and environmental courses. Like, okay, I think I want to go to school for environmental engineering. And no one really tells you what environmental engineering is about until you're like deep in it. You're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. Um, because ultimately any sort of engineer kind of feeds back into this capitalistic system, um, back into this extractivist system. Um, and so, you know, going into it at first, that's not really what the focus is. And I, I ended up um, pursuing my bachelor's in environmental engineering at Georgia Tech uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, you know, I, I guess I was just still trying to figure it out. I realized that environmental engineering wasn't really what I wanted. Um, it wasn't making the differences that I thought it would make. Um, and then I was just like, hmm, how can I like sort of shift this degree into something that makes sense for me and makes sense for what I want to do. Um, and so the pathway there then became renewable energy. Um, again, did not know in what way capacity. I thought maybe one day I'd want to, you know, be the head of the DOE, the Department of Energy. Um, I, I did kind of always see this like government role, like leadership role, uh, determining policy role, which is strange enough. I'm still kind of on that pathway. Um, but then it was renewable energy. Um, and so I took like a class in coastal engineering um, 
And I, I think, I don't know how I got on this, but I really wanted to study ocean wave energy conversion. I think I did some initial research and I was like, whoa, this should be the up and coming thing. The U.S. kind of missed the boat on ocean wave energy in the 90s. I think, um, I forget the exact reason, but it's like solar and wind lobbyists um, made, just were louder. And um, though it started picking up in the UK, the US just missed the boat. And so also I'm an oceanographer and somehow I always have ocean puns and I kind of hate it. Like I, I'm not a pun person, but they just come out sometimes. And so just bear with me through all my ocean. I'm ready for it. Oh gosh, there's so many, like go with the flow. That's my life motto at this point. Um, but yeah, so I, I missed the boat on, um, on a, they missed the boat on a, on um, pursuing like ocean wave energy here. And I was like, I want to help bring it back. Like I want to, this, this seems like a great source of energy. Like, why don't we tap into this? Like we have so many cities along our coast, like makes sense. Um, and so I started doing two years of research in that and I decided I wanted to get my PhD. Um, the motivation of getting my PhD was I just wanted the letters. Like it kind of didn't matter to me what in. I was like, well, if I want to go into government, I think I'll get a lot more respect um, and I want to be a leader. And so I thought getting a doctoral degree in engineering would be uh, helpful with that. Um, and so I started applying to different programs. Um, and by the way, I was really involved in this energy thing. I was like a part of um, a few organizations that were dedicated to energy. I started or co-founded an organization with um, a few colleagues of mine at Tech um, for like the American Association of Blacks in Energy. Like I was diehard. I'm going to be wow. in the energy field. <laughs> I was ready. Um, didn't happen. Uh, so I... I was applying to graduate school and uh, there were three programs that had like specifically ocean wave energy conversion research engineering programs. Um, and then there were two other programs that didn't. Uh, one was just renewable energy uh, for solar wind policy. And the other was just like oceanography. Um, and, you know, the oceanography one, which, you know, spoiler alert is Scripps and where I am now, um, is was recommended by my undergraduate advisor. And it was one of those things where I'm telling him the programs I'm applying to, and he just says, well, what about this school? And I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I guess I'll apply to it because it'll just be my safe school. Like it'll be the school I get into if I don't get into anything else. Um, and so <laughs> I got rejected by all the programs that were focused on ocean wave energy conversion. And I got accepted in the two programs that were on the polar opposite ends of ocean wave energy conversion, the strictly oceanography and the strictly renewable solar wind. Um, and so I visited both. Um, I'll just say the solar wind was Stanford and also my dream school, Stanford. I'd wanted to go to Stanford since I was a, a high schooler. Um, and so it's my opportunity because I got in and they were offering me like this really nice scholarship. Um, but when I went, it was just, I don't know. I feel like I saw my entire life there flash before my eyes and it didn't look pretty. Like I, I did so many things, you know, starting with the San Francisco rent, um, the program, <laughs> the advisor that I was going to have, my colleagues. Um, it just seemed like hell. And then on top of that, like, you know, private schools, I think kind of condition people. Um, privilege does a number on people. And I've never really been 
in a highly privileged position. I would say I've had a lot of privilege in my life, but I also come from like a low income background, single parent household. Like I've also had a lot, you know, I've dealt with a lot too. And so, you know, I think I was very aware of like the damage a certain amount of privilege could do. And just kind of experiencing that when I went there, I just, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it, especially the person I was then, I couldn't do it. I was working in like campus ministry then. And I feel like oh. that decision just conflicted with everything that I was as a person. And I was just like, I can't, I won't. Um, I go to this random school called Scripps, which turns out it wasn't actually random. It's also pretty prestigious, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, and they were very nice. Um, the people were very kind. It literally sits right on the ocean and it looks overlooks beautiful La Jolla, which if you're not familiar with La Jolla, California, it's like a huge tourist de destination. Um, it's like hard to believe that we live here. Like you said earlier, Kyler, like, I can't believe I live in San Diego. Um, wild. It's wild. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, well, the people are nice and this is beautiful. And I have no idea what an oceanographer is, but why not? <laughs> why, why not? And so um, I think from there, my decision was based on, I guess, climate. Like, if anything, I can become a climate scientist. If anything, I can, and it's specifically physical oceanography. I want to be really distinct about that because um, there, when people, when I tell people I'm an oceanographer, they're like, oh my gosh, can you tell me like about whales or like dolphins? And I'm like, no, I don't know the first thing about whales and dolphins. <laughs> um, but I can tell you about currents. I can tell you about the atmosphere. I can tell you about the physics of the system um, and the how that's impacting the climate of our system. And so, um, I was just like, well, that could be useful. Like I could be a scientist, not an engineer. Um, and I can still kind of go down this pathway of, you know, whatever, it's opening new doors. Why not? Let's do it. So I, I took a total leap of faith and moved to San Diego. Um, and within two years, I found out that I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it just wasn't for me. And it was hard because, you know, all my colleagues are so passionate. Like my colleagues are the kind of people who have grown up around oceans all their lives and like always was curious about this kind of thing and always cared about it or like, you know, wanted to go to sea for the longest time. I went to sea once and I, I swore I would never step foot in the ocean again. Um, I don't even like the ocean that much. There's an, I know there's a question coming later on, but I'm just saying now I'm a mountains girl. I like the mountains. Like, I'll go to the beach every now and then, it's nice, but, like, put me on land, okay? Um, and so I, I just didn't have the same passion, and it was it was kind of tough, and I, I, had, I realized I had to pivot again. Um, the options were drop out <laughs> um, or figure out how to make it work, and I, I desperately started looking for other avenues within the field of, like, what could I do that actually interests me, that gets me excited, that, you know, I could do with this degree, and the degree wasn't, um, the actual doing of the degree was still interesting to me. And I think that's why I thought I could get through it. I, I thought, you know, I love science. I love math. I love physics. I studied, um, I studied fluid mechanics in undergrad and it was like my favorite course. And so uh, I, I just love the way water moves. Again, growing up by rivers, I always wanted to understand how water mm. moves. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, like, this is still fun. I'm still enjoying myself. It's just not what I'm passionate about. It's just not what 
is calling to me. It's not what fulfills me. And so I was like, I can get through it because I like the science and the math. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. And it is ultimately, it is, it is for a purpose. Like we actually do some really impactful work with my lab. Um, it's just not what I'm excited about. And I, I, you know, really... I'm really inspired by so many people that I work with. Um, I think in so many ways they are changing the world, um, but I, I, it's not for me. Um, so yeah, I going again on this pivot journey, um, I went through a few conferences. I spoke to a few different people and I kind of began to see this pave of um, climate policy and policy and science policy sort of forming. And I was like, okay, you know what? It's diverse enough. I think it will get me in government the way that I need to be. And so I started just looking at what that looks like. I started getting involved in local climate action or more like university climate action, not really local San Diego climate action. Um, and started, you know, trying to understand these bigger systems at play, trying to understand um, climate change sort of in this like political sense. And uh, from there, yeah. And now I'm hoping to one day um, work in like the federal or state government mm -hmm. climate policy work. And so victory lap where this is my last year on oceanography once i get this degree we are transitioning out of this you know i don't want to say never looking back but you know looking back occasionally but yeah forward yeah of course i said moving forward uh, you'll have those additional letters at the end of your name too everybody gonna have to refer to you as doctor for some respect on your name exactly. uh, but but no, I thank you for giving us that journey, really that those pathways that led you to California, because I think there's so much there that people can learn from, that people can be inspired by, uh, because I think that when it comes to people figuring out their passion or what they think they're interested in, I think it's important when people are able to recognize what they aren't passionate about or what they aren't interested in, just as much as it is to figure out what you are interested in. And I think, too, just giving light to what exists within this realm of oceanography because like you said when you say that you're oceanographer people want to especially in san diego to be like oh like you've been to sea world like dolphins whales sea lions whatever it may be and honestly when i was growing up i wanted to be a marine biologist because i was like yeah i like dolphins like why wouldn't i want to be in a field where i just look at dolphins all day but not knowing that there was way more involved to that like once i really figured out how much science and engineering was involved i was like oh y'all don't just be like looking at aquariums all day <laughs> So it's like being able to hear just all the different interests you have, I think it's really powerful. And I think especially as a Black woman too, like when it comes to representation in these fields and engineers, like when we have these pictures of who's an engineer, like that image isn't always of a Black woman. So to be able to hear you nerd out a bit on what you are interested in is always really exciting to hear and listen to. Yeah. And, you know, just on the point of like pivoting, like it, it's it's hard. Like, you know, people will tell me all the time, um, I have it together, you know, you really know what you're doing. And I don't like, and I, I don't think we put enough emphasis on people, especially, you know, when you're a teenager, when you're in your early twenties, even late twenties, sometimes early thirties, like it's okay to not have it figured out. Like it's, I, and there's pros and cons. Like, I'm not going to make it sound like, oh, it's all good. Right. Because like, there are cons to not really having a focus. You can get sidetracked. You can go a different direction. It could teach you things, but I, I would like, you know, to encourage people to find their focus. Like I, I think in a way I made like a beautiful mistake of not really centering myself 
um, beautiful in a sense that it took me so many different directions that I got to meet a lot of different people. I got to try a bunch of new things. I got exposure to all these things. But at the same time, um, I feel like I, I wasted time. Mm. And I feel like I, I wasted opportunities to be fulfilled. And so I, I think it's like a double-edged sword where like, sure, you could you could um kind of go with the flow <laughs> and there's there's fun in that there's excitement in that but also being intentional about centering yourself and I'm I'm trying desperately to do that now I might have to do an ocean put encounter on this episode it might take some editing work on the back end but I feel like I feel like an ocean put encounter would be fun to kind of see how many <laughs> ocean puns end up in the in the episode oh gosh yes <laughs> Uh, I'll try to, I'm, I might have to throw in a few myself, but we'll we'll see what happens throughout the podcast. Uh, but I want to make sure that we also talk about some of your experiences as a PhD student outside of the classroom too, because I think that, or classroom lab, you're in a PhD program, so you're doing a lot of things at the time, TAing, all that. Um, but being a student is a holistic experience. So to kind of ease us into that topic, I first want to ask, do you remember when we first crossed paths? I remember the exact, not the exact dates, but I remember the day very clearly. So I'm curious if you remember. Oh my gosh, I don't. <laughs> no I pressure don't, at all. I don't. <laughs> I want to say honestly though, I my my first memories of you, like you know, I I don't remember the moment that we met, but the first um sort of landmark of Kyler was following you on Instagram and reading your poetry that you post on your stories. And I, and I remember just being like, wow, Kyler is a really beautiful poet. Um, and that was kind of my first impression of you. Like, I, I can't put a timestamp on when we met. And I, I would love to hear when it was. Hopefully I wasn't super scatterbrained. But, <laughs> but, no, but I do if, remember my impression of you as a person very early on. I definitely appreciate that. I always wonder, like, who's actually reading those poems when I post them on the story. So it's cool that they're being read. Um, so this dates back to right before UCSD did the whole return to learn thing. Um, mm -hmm. I came to a homie hour on Zoom and it was just you and I think Alexia, like, and I think Alexia came a little late, but that was my first interaction with you ever was I, cause I'd been in the BGPSA group me for probably like a month or so, but I wasn't really engaging with y'all at that level. But I was like, you know what? Like I was having a rough week, rough set of weeks, really. I was like, I need community. So I logged into that Zoom call and it was you, it was Alexia. And y'all also was having a rough week. So we all was just like talking about like having a rough week. And I was like, wow, I feel really connected to these people. They're, they're so dope. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. That just took me way back. I, I The Zoom homie hours during the panorama. Pan, panorama was, yeah. Wow. Wow, that may, that actually kind of warms my heart a little bit because um, you know, I know a lot of people were going through a lot, especially during that time. And we really tried to figure out how we could cultivate community virtually. And so, you know, it makes me happy. One, that you remember me from that, from that specific experience, but um also that, you know, that space did have an impact and that space was of comfort to you. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like like if I can have a moment of transparency, I guess I'd went through a breakup probably like the week before that homie hour call. So it was like, I was like, dang, like I really need to just like be around some people right now. So hopping on a Zoom call and then I went to the first in-person homie hour. So I was like, oh yeah, I met you on Zoom. And then it's like 
from there, it's just like, yeah, all these different, different interactions, but just thinking back, just how relationships and friendships evolve over time. It's wild that we started on a Zoom call and here we are today on another Zoom call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Zoom is powerful, I guess. <laughs> Zoom brings people together. <laughs> yes, Zoom brings people together for sure. But that was also a segue to be able to talk about like the Black Graduate Professional Student Association, being a Black grad student on campus and just what that involvement has meant to you. So uh, let's just start there. Like, what have you enjoyed about being part of like BGPSA and being around other Black grad and professional students at UCSD? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up that example because it, it really does highlight and demonstrate um, what I have enjoyed most, which is the opportunity to cultivate spaces for community. Um, I think when I first got here, uh, I, I was also, Alexia and I both were looking for community um, and we found it with BGPSA. And, you know, at the time it was just a small group of people um, within a living room, right? Just getting together, having game nights, having movie nights, um, you know, enjoying drinks and uh, food together. Like it, it was just very homey. And, um, and, you know, from I was there not in the early stages of PGPSA, but I was kind of there as it was starting to blossom and as like more black students were coming in. And so I was there, I feel like in what I call the glory days of BGPSA, when we were kind of at the peak of like, you know, operating, um, doing sort of all these events together, um, programming together. Um, there was kind of a strong sense of community within the leadership. Uh, and then there was also a strong sense of community outside the leadership and we all, we all kind of felt um, like a collective. Um, and unfortunately, within two years of me experiencing that, the pandemic hit. And um, I think I had also just joined the board of BGPSA maybe like six months after, uh, six months, the pandemic hit like six to eight months after I just joined the board. Um, and so I was also just very new to leadership. And I, I had also just taken a job with um, the, our like graduate housing event planning. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the pandemic for me was trying to figure out how to maintain that same sense of community um, when we couldn't meet up in person, we couldn't uh, be with each other. Um, and then, you know, every, all hell broke loose at the same time. Um, and so, you know, we had all these letters, um, come out, uh, following the murder of George Floyd. Um, some was, some were actually within scripts, uh, and then some were also with, uh, the BSU. And so being a leader at that time, um, meant to me, like, not only is it important to, like, continue to cultivate community, but also figure out, you know, this is a moment for advocacy, what does it look like to make sure that um, Black students are supported during this time? Um, what does it look like to make sure future Black students are supported? Um, and so <laughs> I remember being in so many meetings during those virtual times, um, so many. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately some good came out of them too. Um, and I and seeing the fruit of that, like the also the, the joy of being a six-year PhD student is, seeing the fruit of the community building, seeing the fruit of the advocacy um, and seeing just all these things kind of come up and, you know, in turn support black students of the future um, now and of the future. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, and even coming out of the pandemic, we started, you know, getting in person again and trying to um, get the event planning going again. And I just really enjoyed um, 
the experiences, meeting a lot of people, and also just doing good. And again, being in service of others. Um, I really value service. I really enjoy helping people. And so it's been really nice to be able to do that for other Black students on campus. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more as someone who's been involved with the Black community at UCSD as an undergrad, as staff, as a grad student, like being in service of the Black students, both now and the future generations of Black students. There's there's just something special about that because you know that you're really doing your part to make to make this place better than it was for you. Uh, so I think that's very beautiful and very impactful. And I think what I really appreciate about BG, appreciate eight about BGPSA is just because obviously at UCSD in La Jolla, there's not a lot of Black people in general. Then you separate the Black students into these different degree programs, masters, PhD, whatever it may be, and you're really not amongst a lot of Black people in those programs. So to come together with other Black grad and professional students who is like, hey, I especially some of them homie hours when they get when y'all get into the science he talk it's like yo I have <laughs> no idea what your research is about or what you just said but it's cool that you're a black individual in this space doing the damn thing and I think that's what makes it so impactful just being around so many brilliant black people because that's not the representation you see when you talk about PhD when you talk about scientists so to be around people and hearing the research going to, I think my favorite thing over the last year has been going to the defenses of people I've seen grind for the last five, six years. I'm like, man, like, obviously y'all did the work, but I feel like I was part of the work because I've seen the journey. So it's like, man, this is so name. beautiful. Put my name on the, on the acknowledgements. <laughs> man, but it's just been so beautiful. Like all the different people that have been in community for the last five, six years, like they come out that room and they're like, oh, Dr. So-and-so. I'm like, man, this is, I'm happy I was here for this moment. Yeah, to see people's journeys. And yeah, and on that point too, like, you know, we'd come together and we talk about the science and you'd be able to see the representation firsthand of these like, you know, advanced kind of studies that we're all doing, but also like to sort of struggle together too, to like mm -hmm. have that community because we commiserate together. Like you said, even our first Zoom call together, we were commiserating. And I think that's important because again, part of not having the representation is there hasn't been a lot of people who have done what we've done as who we are. Um, and so having another person who's maybe not going through the exact same thing academically, but maybe going through the same thing just institutionally, systemically, um, really helps you feel less isolated and alone. And I, I feel like, honestly, like when we were as leadership at that time, um, when we were trying to make sure that we could get everybody at homie hour, everybody in the group me, that was kind of our main thing. Like, we don't want people to feel alone. We don't want people to, you know, have to feel like they have to go through this isolated. We want people to feel like they can talk to other people, feel like they can learn from other people and share and share their experiences with people. Because I feel like that part of the community also helps us succeed um, individually and collectively. And so um, along with, you know, just getting exposure to each other's professions and expertise, also getting exposure to each other's struggles and, and successes, um, I feel like has been a huge part of people's development uh, within grad school. I'm going to put it better myself. I uh, so want to transition a little bit to talk about kind of your creative, your artistic side and first starting back, going back to the ocean real quick, uh, as I was doing a deep dive preparing for this podcast, I noticed one of your Instagram taglines was your friendly neighborhood oceanographer. And mm -hmm. that, that got a chuckle out of me for sure. I was like, I like that. Um, but there was a conversation that we had many months ago, 
and you were talking to me about an idea you had for just how to translate what you've been learning in your PhD program about the ocean into a way that is digestible, artistic for other people. So can you talk to us a little bit about your What the Ocean Taught You series and how you've been working to, or just having a project about like having a different modality to showcase some of your knowledge and expertise in the field? Yeah, and I feel like this project, um, kind of connects a lot of different aspects of me, who I am as a person, um, as well as just wanting to, you know, showcase, showcase what I'm learning. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, physical oceanography is not really the best representation of oceanography. Um, I think a lot of people think, you know, the ecology or the biology of the ocean rather than the physics of the ocean when they think of oceanography or when they think of a um, marine anything. Um, and so, and, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I think the physics is probably the most beautiful part because the physics is the foundation for all of the other things to unfold. Without physics, we would not have the biology. Without physics, we would not have the ecology. Um, and just the physics alone really boils down to like one thing, which is water and the earth spinning. And that is so cool. <laughs> like that is the coolest thing to me. Everything, our climate, the way our atmosphere behaves, the way our oceans move, the way it evolves has everything to do with the water that's in it and the earth spinning. And maybe like a few things here and there, like the moon and the sun and, you know, other factors involved. But like the fact that we can just boil down physics to these things and it's just our existence in time and space and how those things create all these other beautiful things that are a part of our life. Um, it's just so essential and it's so overlooked. Um, and so even though I, I despise the idea of staying in this field of oceanography, part of me is like, I'm not gonna let this for how it's influenced my life go to waste. Like I'm learning really cool things. I'm also black. I have my own way of connecting to the earth. I'm also um, a lover of the arts. Um, I, I love how we're able to connect with others and I love how people can express their creativity. I'm not much of a poet myself, but I'm like, you know what? This is a great opportunity to showcase the way other people can express themselves and the beauty of that. And so what the ocean taught me um, was this idea that I had a couple years ago um, of a collection of poems that are based in ocean physics. And sort of the other central idea to this project is, um, you know, with the way our world operates now, it's very centered on ideas of capitalism, extraction, exploitation. Um, and there was a time before all of that. There was a time mm -hmm. where humans valued the earth. There was a time where we were one with the earth. And for many people on this earth, that's still the way of life we have just become part of this more dominant system, which is actually doing more harm to the earth and more harm ultimately to us. And so I think it's important to kind of get back to the roots, to get back to what it looks like for humans to connect with our environment, what it looks like for humans to connect with other beings, other things that exist, uh, coexist with us. Um, and in part, you know, with my expertise as a physical oceanographer, I wanna, I wanna see how people can connect with water. I want to see how people can connect with our oceanic systems. Um, and I want to see 
what comes to mind for artists um, when they relate to it and when they have a understanding of the physics. It's also about science communication, like and STEAM, like uh, science, technology, engineering, art, math, but focusing mainly on the science and the art part, right? I think we can be better science communicators when we can connect these ideas with art. And so I, I want more exposure for the field of physical oceanography. And I wouldn't say the field of physical oceanography. I want more exposure on how the earth works. How does the earth operate? What is the earth doing? And then how do we connect with it? What does it mean to us? And I'm hoping ultimately if this becomes a book someday and fingers crossed, maybe it will, um, that it could be a way, a reminder. I don't think it's gonna change the way people think about things. I don't think it's gonna wipe out our extractive systems, right? But I, I want it to be a reminder of who we are as humans and how we can relate to the earth. And then maybe, you know, maybe other people will also write about how they connect to other systems of the earth. Maybe how we connect to biology, how we connect to ecology, how we connect to the trees, how we connect to the animals around us. Like, I just want it to be sort of this idea of we need to go back to how we were at least mentally, at least spiritually, because that's what feed, feeds us and that's what's ultimately good for our souls and good for our humanity, not the world that we're living in right now because it's literally causing wars. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I love when you get into your geek out mode about the ocean and connected to the earth because I feel like energized about your passions and I feel like I got I got motivation to want to write more about the ocean. So I need to revisit those definitions and get some poems written on my, getting my physical oceanography bag with the poetry. I don't know if I could do a whole poetry book about physical oceanography, <laughs> but I could try. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the book, I'm hoping for the book to um, have multiple artists. Maybe this is my call. This is my call for all poets out there who would want to be part of this project. Um, I am actually looking for, looking at applying to a grant soon. Um, but unfortunately, this project has just been drowned out by the PhD. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hoping maybe once I graduate, I'll have more time to like pour into this um, and do some searching. But hey, if there's an artist out there, if there's a poet out there who's who this piques your interest, please send me a DM, hit me up because I, I will, I'm looking for you. <laughs> Hey, she is looking for y'all and there's going to be some folks from black expression who tune in for this so i'm sure you might get some interested poets um because who doesn't like who doesn't have a poem about the ocean i feel like every poet has a poem about the ocean i'd, I'd be willing to bet good money every poet has some type of poem referencing the ocean uh but i will say that that is a project that really excites me i remember when you first told me about it it just made me i was like yeah like the writer in me like loves this it's such a beautiful idea um because there's just so many ways that we connect with water, connect with the earth. I love the question about like, how do you connect to the earth? That might even be the episode that's on. That might be the question that's tagged to the episode on Spotify, because I'm curious what some of our listeners are thinking. So if you are listening to this, tap in with the Spotify poll, how do you connect to the earth? Um, but yeah, that's just such an interesting concept. And one of a couple of my favorite moments over the last year was when we all had an opportunity to meet up and just talk about our relationship with water. Uh, Taylor, myself, and a couple other writers slash grad students from UCSD, uh, we went to Mission Bay and we're just sitting talking about our relationship with water and related to like some of the physical oceanography uh, knowledge that Taylor shared with us. But it was literally just like an hour and a half of four Black people sitting in the grass in Mission Bay talking about Blackness, life and water. And it was so beautiful. Like, I love those types of moments. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like our, my favorite meeting as well. And that, yeah, yeah, that's another thing too. I want I want the book to be um, mostly black, if not just all people of color writing these poems because I, I want our voices to be show showcased. I want our voices to be heard. Um, and I want I want people like us to know this is how we're connecting with our earth. Absolutely. One more aspect of your artistry that I want to make sure we have some room to discuss before we get to the tail end of the podcast. Uh, underneath your friendly neighborhood oceanographer, you're also the occasional photographer. Uh, so how did you get started with your occasional photography? Yeah, um, so I, I guess I've been uh, playing with photography for maybe nine, nine, nine years now. Um, and yeah, and you know, at first it was like this cute little hobby. <laughs> uh, I went to school with this girl, um, Kaya Crittenden, and who's now like, I, I to me she's like top 10 photographers in the U.S. right now she's been in brides so many times um I loved her I loved her as a person when I knew her in college and she her art then and seeing her art now just inspires me all the time and really it was her work and then just seeing the work of other photographers around me that made me fall in love with what it looks like to see something through a lens and to focus on something and to frame something and to find beauty in it um, and so that's what initially kind of got me interested and started in photography. Um, it was kind of just a hobby. And then, you know, people started asking me to do shoots for them, birthday shoots, graduation shoots. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just build my portfolio. That's great. Um, but then um, at some point I was like, oh, this is a lot. And, you know, living in California with these rent prices and, you know, not making money off this is kind of rough. So <laughs> let me see what it looks like to start a little business. Um, and so I started a business and it has been so good. Um, to be honest with you, again, the PhD uproots and destroys everything. Um, but <laughs> I, I have not been active on my photographer social media in so many months. And I've done, it's sad. It's so sad. I've done at least eight or nine shoots since I've, my last post. And all of them, like some of those shoots are still waiting to be on my website. <laughs> They're in a queue whenever I have the mental space for it. Um, and so in, in a sense, it's kind of sad too, because, you know, something I consider kind of fun and a passion of mine has become like laborious and um, stressful. And, you know, now that the finishing this this degree is at the top of my priority it's kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit I've tried not to promote as much just because I'm really trying to just focus on my degree right now and honestly I don't know what it's going to look like in the future um I just kind of see it as a hobby for right now um if I get paid for it cool <laughs> but it's 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 I want to get back to the point where I can love it again I I don't want to I don't want to resent it because it takes time and energy um or it stresses me out um but it is it is such a beautiful art and I I do encourage anyone you know if you're not if you're not doing any sort of visual art any sort of expressive art, even sort of athleticism art, like do something because it really does fill your soul. And once upon a time, photography filled my soul. It doesn't fill my soul right now, but I hope one day it will again. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the honesty. I think you have a lot that you're passionate about and doing and PhD isn't like just some little side project. So I think it's more than logical that you're focusing on that PhD right now, but photography is always going to be a part of you. And I've seen your work. It's really dope. So happy that it has filled your soul at some point and hopefully will continue to fill your soul in other areas. Uh, one more thing that just came to mind when you mentioned hobbies, you like skating. 
that's something <laughs> we didn't add on the podcast but oh, as you were talking about hobbies I went back I was like oh yeah I've seen you like skating on TikTok and you always look like having such a good time so uh, any quick plug for skating or what skating does for you real quick yeah and you know I mentioned if you're not doing something for visual arts or athletic athleticism arts like that's what I mean when I say athleticism arts um skating for me uh, so I, I was never the most graceful of people. Um, I There's like the nine intelligences that you take, the test that you take when you're in high school, and I scored the lowest on bodily kinesthetic. <laughs> so that just tells me I'm, I'm not the most connected with my body. Um, and I, I always wanted to like dig into that. I always wanted to know why. And honestly, during the pandemic, um, I started following all these skaters, like roller skaters, um and they were just always so cool I was like I want to be like them like that that just looks so fun that looks so freeing so exciting um and just but you know again disconnected with my body um but I wanted to challenge myself like I I feel like so many other things come natural to me and I feel very um gifted and lucky to like have all these talents but like I want to work on the things that I'm not so good at and I want to fail I want to fail I want to be silly I want to look silly um I want to and then I want to grow I want to really grow in an area that I, I'm not something I'm not good in um, and so I picked up skating just as like a hobby. Um, and I, it was mostly like jam skating during the pandemic. Um, and I, I got, you know, I got good to the point where I could have fun, where I could feel free, where I could be happy and it would bring me joy. Um, but then some crazy thought in me was like, take lessons. Um, <laughs> and once you, once you associate yourself with any sort of system, stress comes in mm -hmm. um and so you know I always wanted to be like a, a artistic um ice skater but the blade scares me the yeah. I can't do it I've heard of like so many injuries from that and it, it just no um and also it's cold who wants to be cold and exercise why why would you want that why do I need to wear gloves no. <laughs> I live in California I want to be outside so um I I ended up taking uh artistic figure skating, artistic roller figure skating um, over at the skate world in San Diego. And um, I love my coach. She's really great. Um, and I, I just started learning like actual figure skating. And mm -hmm. it's been so challenging. But also, it, it you know, it's starting to it deviate it a little bit. Like when you're first learning something and you're learning it in like the technical institutional sense, it's stressful and it's annoying. And it like, it's no longer fun. Right. And I feel like I'm finally getting over the hump of like, okay, now I can be free. What does it look like to like do all these technical things, but then find freedom in it again and find joy and find life. And there are moments where I've, you know, practiced the, this technical thing enough times where I can just like look up and breathe and be like, I'm flying. This, I, this feels great. This feels so fun. Um, so yeah, all that to say, um, I, I totally recommend roller skating as a hobby for anyone it, just to feel free. If you want to go do competitive things, you know, <laughs> um, Godspeed to you because that shit is hard. But, um, you know, find find something that brings you joy and find something that gets you exercise. That was the other thing, too. It was, it was either uh, I'm getting a trainer because I'm not exercising mm. or I'm getting a coach to do roller skating. Um, and so there were, there was kind of no choice for me because I was, I was in the house way too much. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. I do. And I don't know if I'll compete. Um, cause again, institution, stress, pressure, not great. Um, but right now the learning part and the having fun with it and spinning around, that's, that's great. 
you made me want to just pick up some skates and go outside and go skating right now. So I think I think your PSA for sure worked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Taylor, I think the listeners have gotten such a great overview of who you are as a person. Uh, so want to trend towards the tail end of the podcast with some quick hitter questions. Uh, just whatever comes first to mind is totally fine. Uh, first and foremost, who are some people who inspire or influence you and don't feel the need to give an exhaustive list? If people listen to this and get offended, I just ask for some. If you're not on the list, it's totally fine. Uh, but Taylor, who are some people who influence you and or inspire you? Um, You know, I was never really good at this question because <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't have like a whole bunch of role models, you know? Like, I feel like... um. I feel like I'm just bad at the whole like following people and reading up on them and keeping up um, and, you know, heroes, like I was never great at that. So I think my answer for this will just be the people that I surround myself with all the time, um, at least for like influencing me because they do. Um, the people that I love, uh, my friends, my family, um, my partner, um, you know, I go to, I go to these people for support. I go to these people, um, for help and, you know, and, and it's important to have your village and have your community and have your support system. And so, um, those people also inspire me because when I'm, when I'm looking to them, <laughs> I'm also hoping to get guidance and get, um, get, um, sort of centering, centering from them and then come back and center myself. Um, and so that support system means a lot to me. Um, and yeah, they inspire me. I think those are the people who I start to think of the most too when it comes to inspiration and influence, just the people I've interacted with over the course of my life, the people in my circle, like just people living their lives and being the fullest version of themselves is inspiring and influential all within itself. Next up, where is your Zen place, the place, scenario, or circumstances where you feel the most peace of mind? Yeah, oh gosh, this is the question. I was like, I know this question's coming, but um, the mountains. <laughs> I'm a mountain girl. I, I'll, I'll go to the beach every now and then. It's cool. But I'm a mountain girl. Take me to the mountains. Um, yeah, I love, I love, I love, especially like the California mountains, because they're not really mountains. They're like hills. They're like little valleys, little peaks, and they're, they're so interesting. They have speckles. Like, who wouldn't love polka-dotted mountains? That is the coolest thing in the world, and they are this soft, like, green. It just, it just makes me happy to think about them. I'm very lucky to have a view of the mountains that I wake up to every day, and um, it really does bring me a lot of peace. Mm, I love that. Uh, outside of what we have discussed, what else do people need to know about you to get a complete picture of who you are? Is there anything that I missed when I was asking questions about you? I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot of <laughs> ground. You got all my hobbies. You got all my passions. Um, I would say, you know, I've done a lot of uh, climate advocacy work. Um, and, you know, I'm also looking for a job. <laughs> I don't know if this is the avenue to get a job, but you know, I hey, I, I hope so. Right. With the with the transition from being a scientist to going into um climate policy with a focus especially on resilience and environmental justice. Um, those are things I haven't really mentioned on this podcast, and those are things that I hope to represent in my career going forward. And so, you know, I would say if people are interested in that, um, keep up with me. Or if you're doing that, please get in touch with me because I I, I want to know you and I want to learn from you and I want to um you know join you on your journey um and so you know those keywords just climate climate action climate policy climate justice um 
just really out there doing that work. I want to be a part of that. Absolutely. And that was a good segue into where can people find you? How can people support you? It sounds like number one support is plugger to a job, uh, but what other <laughs> ways can people support you and how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, so I'll give my LinkedIn for those who are professional. Uh, my name is Taylor McKee. You could just like Google Taylor McKee LinkedIn um, scripts, institution of oceanography. Um, my Instagram is actually way more personal. I don't really post a lot of science, climate, anything. Sometimes I do if it's like, you know, I went to, um, the UN climate change conference last year. So I posted about that, but like very rarely, cause I, I want my, my social media to be about me, Taylor, the person, not Taylor, the, you know, career, whatever. Um, and so if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, you can follow Taylor Sharice, which is my first name. And then my middle, which is S H E R I S S E. Um, and then, you know, Kyler mentioned my uh, social media, uh, my photography social media uh, caption, um, and that is share shoots, um, S-H-E-R underscore shoots, uh, if you are interested in my photography or if you'd like to book me. Awesome. I think I remember the first time I followed you on IG. I thought it was Taylor She Rise. I was like, okay, like rising. <laughs> I was like, yeah, she rides. That's dope. That's real inspiration. I like that. Oh, gosh. It's so bad because to me, it looks so cool because I know that's my middle name. But even my partner, one day he was like, what's your middle name? And I was like, you follow me on Instagram for like four years now. It's literally my Instagram handle. He was like, I, I don't see it. I don't. I don't get it. It's right. It's right there. But yeah, that's my middle name, Sharice with two S's. Um, my mom loved that name for whatever reason. And I, I kind of like it too. Now that it's like a, it's an Instagram handle. I'm like, this looks kind of dope until someone says it's Taylor. She rises. <laughs> hey, I was just I'm being like, honest. Oh, shit. <laughs> Let me change it again. <laughs> Maybe it needs an underscore. <laughs> No, I like it. I like it, though. I think once I heard you say, I was like, oh, yeah, Sharice, I like that. Your partner's hilarious for that, though, because what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's hilarious. Um, where are we at? Any shameless plugs, any shout outs, anything you want to manifest on the podcast before we close out? Um, I don't know. I know there's a lot going on in the world right now. And so um, and there's always been a lot going on with the world. Like I and that's the thing. I think when some tragedies are spotlighted. All the other ones that have been ongoing have also been overlooked. Um, and so it's a good opportunity for all these things to kind of be um, kind of be publicized at once. Um, so we're all kind of increasing our awareness. Um, but I also know it's it's a lot. It's a lot for um, everyone, literally everyone. Um, so I don't know if I could manifest anything as world peace when we all want that. I guess some people don't, but you know, um, but I, I do hope people are taking care of themselves. Um, I do hope people are taking action in the ways that feel right and good to them. Um, and I, I just want to manifest um, goodwill and love mm. for people. Um, shout outs. Uh, I want to shout out you, Kyler. You know, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for hosting this podcast and you know including um, the people of your life, sharing their stories. Um, and yeah, and shout out to all the people who've supported my journey, um, gotten me to where I am today, uh, and continue to get me to where I am going. Um, but yeah, I it's been an honor to be here. And thank you. Thank you again for having me. 
Of course, and thank you for being gracious with your time as a busy PhD student. Uh, one more question and I'll let you go for the evening. And that is, what are you taking away from this episode? And what do you hope our listeners are taking away from this episode? Hmm, that's a hard question. The uh, reflection time. The reflection. <laughs> um, you know, it's always weird. I, I get anxious about talking about myself. I am very self-conscious. I don't like talking about myself. Um, I'm in the process of applying for jobs. So I got to talk about myself and cover letters all the time. I hate it. Um, but this has been really refreshing just to kind of, it's been like a self-reflection for me, just kind of looking back at my life story, um, why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Um, and you know, it, that's been good. It's, it was really good. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I want the listeners to, you know, take away, I guess, a few things and maybe I can just ramble, ramble them off. Um, it's okay to not know what you're doing or where you're at or where you're going, um, but as long as you are intentional about centering yourself and centering whatever you're doing around who you are, I think that will bring the most fulfillment. Um, and so hence my journey, trying to center myself and I'm hoping whatever I'm centering myself around will bring me fulfillment, which is my love and service for people. Um, and have fun, like do something that brings you joy. I, I am the queen of hobbies. <laughs> I didn't mention this, but when I was younger, I was a violinist and I was competitive with it. And it, oh, wow. was, my, it was my long lost love and my violin sitting in my closet cursing me right now because I haven't touched her in years. But um, it's 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 important to find things that bring you joy. And I, I'm lucky to have found three, four five hobbies that have brought light into my life. And I I hope everyone gets the same chance to kind of explore that. So find find what it is for you. I love that. And as your violin is spiting you, I have a saxophone in a closet somewhere spiting me as well. Um, every time I look at it, like somebody playing keyboard or piano, I'm like, dang, I should pick up the piano again. Uh, so these instruments just live to spite us. So I love I love that that's a fun little tidbit to end the episode with. Um, I would say that my takeaway for the episode is if you're not finding joy in something, bring joy out of it. Because I think when your story about uh, not wanting to be an oceanographer, like that being something you kind of fell into, you're still able to find ways to bring joy out of it, whether it's in reflecting on the fun parts of which you love or finding creative ways to transform and translate that for the communities that you care about. And I think that's very fitting for anyone who's at a point in their life, whether they're in a job they don't want to be in, in a field they don't want to be in, uh, doing something that has become mundane or maybe has to become mundane, but you just know it's not on your pathway, finding ways to alter it to where even if it's not the pathway that you're on, it's at least pointing you back in the direction of what you want your pathway to be. It's a poet. <laughs> it's a poet, again. It's the art artistry, the artistry of the words. You inspired me, Tyler. There we go. I gotta add you to the inspiration list. I wanna, I wanna Ooh. speak like you when I grow up. Not when you grow up, like we're not the same age. <laughs> uh, but Taylor, this has been a blast. I've really enjoyed talking with you, getting to know more about you outside of the interactions that we have had and just being able to share your story along with the other stories that we've had at the banquet hall. So I wanna thank you for your time, especially a busy, stressed out PhD student, which we all know 
only glimpses of what that is like as someone who's actually experiencing it. I know the stress can sometimes be 10 times more. So definitely want to be gracious of your time and appreciative for your time. Uh, listeners, I hope that y'all enjoyed this conversation. As always, we provide five-star content, so leave a five-star rating. Uh, make sure y'all follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod. Um, and yeah, we're going to continue bringing great episodes to y'all. Hope y'all enjoyed this one. If this is your first time listening, like y'all tuned in just for Taylor, y'all can stay in here like one or two more. I know Taylor's dope, but there's some other dope people on the podcast too. So check out somebody else on the podcast, tell a friend to give us a listen, and we will catch y'all next time. Bye. Thank you.